Are y'all all right this morning? Good, good, good. It's good to be with God's people this morning and to dive into um, the Word of God. We're back in our series. Um, last week, of course, we talked about deacons and the importance of that since we're going to be appointing them soon. Um, but we're back in our Ephesians series. Our series is on Who Am I? The Identity of the Believer. And, and just by way of refresher, we, 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 we see that one of the most important things for anyone or anything that is created, um, if it's sentient, to understand its purpose. Understanding its purpose is probably one of the most important things um, that anyone can understand. Um, purpose is important because we must understand not only what we're called to do, but the one who called us to do it. And so many times we get wrapped up in a preferred future rather than preferring the one who created the future. So our desire is not merely to just know what we're called to do. Our, our desire, because everybody, what am I called to do? What's my purpose? And, 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 and when you look at Paul walking the Corinthians through um, what, it, what it means to show them who their identity is, purpose is only a part of our, their identity. Actually, purpose is an outworking of your identity. Purpose isn't your identity. And, if you, and as we look in the first three chapters um, of this book, we see some beautiful, gorgeous things that we got a chance to walk through. We got a chance in chapter 1, from verses 1 through 14, uh, to walk through the role of the Godhead in salvation. Then after that, we got up in Paul's prayer from verses 14 to the end of the chapter, his desire to see God's people transformed by both the Godhead and the, 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 the truth of what the Godhead brings to them. Then we saw in chapter 2, verses 1, uh, through about the 11th verse, uh, uh, actually the 10th verse, we saw that uh, Jesus Christ, through the gospel, has reforged the relationship between God and man. After we saw the fact that God, through Christ, reforged the relationship between God and man, we saw that he also um, reforges the relationship between man and man. Now we're in chapter 3. We didn't get too far last time. And so I'm going to recap it just a little bit. Then we're going to dive all the way down. to We're going to finish up verses 1 through 6. But we're really starting at verse 2b. And we saw that we began talking about the mystery of the gospel. Say the mystery of the gospel. This is some important stuff because he's, remember like last time, <coughs> he was building a foundation of sorts so that when he gets to chapter 4, he can talk to them about what it looks like to be obedient to the information that leads to their transformation. Many of us want transformation but not information. And so what God does is he gives us rich nutrients to help motivate us so we're not merely moralists. A moralist is a person that does good without understanding the reasoning behind what the good is being done for. We're not, we're not moralists, we're transformists as Christians. Transformists, transformist means that God actually, listen, that, that, that he motivates you, he gives you the mind that, that, that has the ability to be transformed, he gives you the word to transform you, but then he, through Christ, lives through you what transforms you with his strength and not with your strength at all. Crazy, right? So he, he really, he's running the whole show. So Paul begins to just go on this ecstatic trip, right? He, he's not on nothing. He's on the Holy Spirit, but he's on this trip, right? He's on this crazy ecstatic trip trying to get believers to really understand the massiveness of the gospel. So right here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we're back there. We're going to finish up the latter part of that, and we're going to be done with this. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, 
a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Say revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. <clears throat> We're still on, 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 on the sermon on lockdown. Say on lockdown. Remember we got on lock, the idea of being on lockdown from verse 1 where he says, I am a prisoner. That, that means he was on spiritual, he was on fleshly lockdown in the past, like he said up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, all of us were. Every last one of us were on lockdown to Satan. You know what I'm saying? I ain't never been on, in lockdown in no prison with no orange sweatsuit on. Well, nah, you may not have been, but you were in, you were in bondage to your physical skin suit and the philosophy of life that's left field of God's kingdom. But now you, tr you switch. Listen, when you become a Christian, you, you're, you're bound, but you're free. So, so now you, you, you're free, but you're not free in the sense that you do what you want to do. You're free in the true sense of freedom, which means God has a will that is operating in a particular sphere based on a particular mindset and based on a particular practice. Y'all should hear me right now. And so right here, Paul, see, this is exciting to me because I know what it was like for me. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all ain't know what it was like for y'all because you may still be there. You know what I'm saying? I ain't mad at you. God transforming us all, right? So plot out. Right here in the text, Paul is helping us um, to understand what he's bound to. See, many, when I first became a Christian, one of my biggest frustrations, I heard about everything you couldn't do. You can't do this. You can't go there. You can't talk to them. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. I'm like, okay, do, so am I just, do I just walk through life with a straitjacket on, you know what I'm saying, and then bow my feet and just walk around like this, just make sure that I don't do nothing? Do I go, I mean, what, what is it? And, and Paul is saying, no, there, there are freedoms that are clear freedoms, not just what you're freed from, but you're freed to. And so we saw, we saw that bound freedom serves the gospel, and we walked through that last time, and we talked about how Paul's service was, uh, on behalf of the Gentiles, because he was called specifically to the Gentiles, we saw that assuming that, he said, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, say the stewardship of God's grace. And we saw, and we saw under that section, that second point was bound freedom comes with responsibility. So we talked about <coughs> the freedom in Christ that we have makes us responsible, not irresponsible, and therefore we're supposed to be stewards of God's grace. God being the owner of everything, however, he's given humans management of stuff. And in light of God giving humans management of stuff, he's called us to steward his unmerited favor. So, and, and every Christian has favor on their life. Did you know that? Like favor isn't just unique to a particular person that's supposed to be exalted above other, other Christians. How, what, 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 in this passage, God has given Paul and also given us a stewardship of his grace based on what he's called us to do, based on who he's called us to reach, and based on the weight of talents and gifts and lifetime and style that he's put us in in order to honor him, glorify him, and reflect him. 
That's your purpose. Now, many of us say, well, I want what somebody else has. Well, God has called them to steward grace with what they have, but now God wants you, based on what's in your life, to steward his grace and what you got. And so we walked through that and talked all through um, all of those different things. Now it brings us to our last point, our last point, which this was the last point. Bound freedom brings responsibility. So then we go here, and now we're looking in the latter part of this where it says, it says in verse 3, it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. But then when you go back, he said, he, he talks about, uh, in verse 2, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was, ma- that was given to me for you. And so he's talking about the fact that he was able to steward God's grace and it was for their benefit. And we talked about the fact that God's grace in your life should benefit other people. <laughs> If, if God's grace on your life benefits you, it's not God's grace. <laughs> be, be, because, because there is nothing about grace that's a self, that we are merely a self-benefactor of. Because what did the Bible says about grace in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. So what happened in order for that grace to save us? Jesus had to die. So Jesus stewarded God's grace by dying on the cross, getting up from the grave, for the benefit of us. So what did he do? His grace, the grace that God had placed on him, even though the Bible says he's full of grace and truth, impacted everyone who believes in him. So if, if, if the grace that was on Jesus' life was for the benefit of others, how much more should we look in the same way in relation to what God has placed on our life? That's why most of us, when we think about purpose, we think about purpose of my divine destiny, my future. I want what's mine. And what God has for me is for me. And we like that. And we get to running and carrying on. And act. But, 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 but what about what God has for you that's for somebody else? <laughs> Who's impacted by God's impact on you, fam? Who's rocked by what God is doing with you that it brings transformation to their life as well? <laughs> and it doesn't come easy comes through great sacrifice if you look at Paul's life. And so Paul walks through that thing and gives us clarity on this whole idea of what it means to walk in God's grace. But then we do have a final point. So, so we, we caught up. Y'all caught up now? All right, cool. So bound freedom, last point, bound freedom makes you hopeful. <coughs> bound freedom makes you hopeful. I, I like it here because he says, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I like this. Because and where, where do I get hopeful from? Well, 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 you have to understand what Paul is talking about. He, he's talking about something in the Old Testament that has now been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. What you will see in many of the minor prophets was a bunch of struggle. I mean, the minor prophets were verbally assassinating God's people. Because God's people were wilding out. And so what God would consistently do is he would send judgment upon them. He would send uh, discipline upon their lives. And, 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 and you would hear some rough information about what God is going to do, right? But then I, like, I, I, I remember I was going through the minor prophets when I first started reading. I was like, man, God really talks very hard to his people. Like God is really hard on his children. Then all of a sudden, Towards the end of the book, you'd hear what's called a restoration passage. 
And what God would, would do is even in the midst of whatever he's promising them that they are either going through or have gone through or going to go through, that's very, very difficult in, in their lack of response and commitment to him. He's saying, I am going to sometime in the future bring restoration. Now, what's funny about that restoration, those restoration passages, is God, listen, he never tells them how the restoration is going to come. He only tells them what the restoration looks like. Stay with me. So in Lamentations 5.21, you don't have to turn there. <coughs> he said, restore to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. In Daniel <coughs> chapter 12, 1 through 4, he says, at that time shall, uh, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Uh, every, everyone whose name was not found in the book, and many of those who, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I mean, you got to understand what they were dealing with when they heard that. They were dealing with um, many of the Israelite cats were castrated. They were in Babylon, Persia. I mean, that now they're in Persia, and they're going, and they're about the, the Greeks are about the siege, everything. And they're like, wow, man, like, like, God, like, what are you up to? You said that there was going to be a time and there was going to be an end to this. And God gives them a, a, a near prophecy and then a future, future, future prophecy. What? To give them hope. Y'all don't, don't believe me yet. Y'all looking at me like I'm funny. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. It says, in that day, he says, I will raise up the booth of David that is, in, that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old. Y'all still looking at me funny. Let's look at another restoration passage. Hosea 14, 4 through 7. He says, I will heal their apostasy. He says, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon, his shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. To appreciate that, you got to read the rest of the book because he, I mean, he was rough on them. Called them a kingdom of prostitutes. And all that he was going to do is it. But then now he says, look, but there is going to be a time, and not in your time, but in my time, I'm going to bring fruit. I'm going to stop y'all from running away from me. I'm going to shut it down by my sovereign power. In other words, God always gives hope. Always gives hope. There is, so, so no matter what any of us go through and no matter where we are, one of the central themes of the mystery of the gospel is hope. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse, say that there are three pillars of the faith. Faith, what? Hope, and what else? Love. So those are the three pillars. Hope, of course, 
is the picture given by God of a divine preferred future. So when he talks about here in verse, in verse 3 of, uh, of, uh, of Ephesians, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I, I like this because we're going to spend time on this word revelation. We're not talking about the book of Revelations. We're talking about this idea of revelation. <clears throat> now, revelation is an interesting term because it's, it's a word that, that, that many people, and he uses revelation to give hope. He, he uses that. But what happens many times is in, in, our, in, in our churches, the word revelation is abused because everybody thinks that everything that God shows them all the time is a revelation. And, and, and everything that God shows you from, from the word is not a revelation. Okay, let me see. Let me. The word of God is already a revelation. So if he interprets the word of God to you, that's not a revelation. That's an illumination. Okay, so, 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 so in, in other words, but, but, but when we say we got a revelation, a revelation, we got to be very, very careful at saying that. Usually we say we got a revelation because we don't want somebody to hold us accountable to the fact that we're going to do something that we believe God has revealed to us to do. And therefore, I'm shutting down your ability to hold me accountable because I said God gave me a revelation. And so therefore, but the Bible says the spiritual man appraises all things. <laughs> and, so, and so in light of this, in giving hope, uh, Paul talks about this beauty, the beauty of this revelation. Now, how does Paul use the word revelation in this book? Now, the usual form of revelation just means to uncover something that was previously covered. That's, that's what revelation means, to, to uncover something that was previously covered. Now, how does Paul, based on the Bible, in this book, in the context of Ephesians, Talk about the word revelation. Let's go back to his prayer. Because what he's going to do is basically, this is Paul's prayer in chapter 1, in, in chapter one, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, in action. Y'all still tracking with me? Yeah, yeah. We're in the text now. We're not going all over, but we're in the Bible. Look at verse 17. Crazy, right? Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. It says that the God, let's, let's look at verse 16 starting. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember that you, remembering you in my prayers. What is he praying about? That. This is, this is the cent centerpiece of my prayer. That the God of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. Wow. What does that mean? That you may have wisdom and that you may understand revelation. In other words, that you may understand what's written. In other words, Paul is praying that God's people would understand what God has already said. Let me say that again. Y'all looking at me funny. He's praying that you and I would understand what's on paper. So, so, so what, what he's wanting us to do is to have a rich understanding. And not, Now, he, notice he, said, he wants us to understand the revelation, but what's interesting, he said a spirit of wisdom. Now, now, now why do you need both? See, see, see you, you, can have, you can understand the revelation, that's knowledge, but wisdom gives you the ability to uniquely apply the revelation to your life. See, now that's what God wants us to be. So when he says... I, I have, this mystery's been made known to me by revelation. What did Paul, what happened to Paul when he got a revelation? 
on the Damascus road when he got the revelation and as he's been writing scripture and will continue till he finishes the part of the canon that he's supposed to do. What did he do? What was revealed to him? He was obedient to it. He was giftedly wise in it. <clears throat> and so Paul is talking about the strength of this revelation, but th he said it was made known to me by revelation. He says, I've written to you. He said, I already wrote this to you briefly. And then he says, <clears throat> he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I love this. Now he's talking about insight into the mystery of Christ. You can perceive. Why would he want them to perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ so they can have insight into the mystery of Christ? All right. Now, let, let, let's, let's break down what this is. Now, this insight points back to verse 17 of chapter 1 that he's praying about, but now he's saying, I'm believing that God is unveiling this for you. So this, this unveiling that God is doing is an actual reality. Are y'all still tracking with me? So this is, this is supposed to be a reality in every Christian's life that the word of God is not just some esoteric thing to argue about, it, but it's actually something that manifests change in your life. I wish I had help today. So insight is, the insight he is talking about goes back to that, right, in chapter 2. In this insight, in the present context, it is the apostle himself who has received this insight into the mystery but earnestly desires they, the, uh, that they do too, will grasp it, reflecting on what he has already written to them in all the verses we just talked about. So Paul did not want to present himself as having cornered the market on truth, but expected all believers to come into this knowledge of God's revelation of the gospel specifically. All can, can, can have this idea of an understanding of the revelation. And so he goes through, and all of the things that he wants him to understand is from verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Now he talks about the mystery of Christ. So now he reveals specifically what the mystery is about. This mystery is about everything being summed up in Jesus Christ. Everything. There's nothing, there's nothing that God said that didn't find its centerpiece in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why on the Emmaus Road, it said, in beginning with Moses, he told them all of the things concerning himself in Scripture. That's the mystery. That, that, he, said, he, said, he told the Pharisees, he says, man, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life. But guess what happens? They all speak of your boy. And so, and so right here, what we see is, what about the mystery of Christ, about Christ? That's the most important thing about Christ. And this where Jesus has, his incarnational identity is centered in this thing. John chapter, John, and this is beautiful. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the Father's side or in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. That's the centerpiece of the mystery of Christ. Stay with me, because this, this, this is going to make sense in a second. This is the centerpiece of Christ's mission. When you look through the book of John, you'll see the word sent a whole bunch of times. Say sent. This is important. And, and, and he he's always has, he has, he has a very, very clear understanding of why he came into incarnational existence and what he's supposed to be doing. And it was all wrapped up in stewarding God's grace to impact other people's lives. Now, what's interesting, though, is in this verse, John 1, 18, 
No one has seen God at any time. The only God who is in the Father's side, meaning that that idea there means to be in fellowship with God. That means Jesus Christ was hanging out in the Godhead in eternity past. Okay, so he was hanging out, chilling at the eternal table with God the Father and them chopping it up. That's what it means. But what the word here, he says, has made him known is the word where we get our word exegesis from. Say exegesis. Exegesis means to take out of something and make it clear without changing it. <laughs> okay, without changing it. In other words, presenting it for what it is without taking away from what it is. That's what exegesis means. So the mystery of Christ is Jesus' directive. What, is his main, what was his main directive? To make people, to help people to understand what God is like. His, his, his incarnational role was to make sure that people got have a clear understanding of what God was like. That's the gospel. And the way it climaxes is, is him dying on the cross. The way, he's, the way everything in his life was to show through his words, through his works, through, every, through his love for people, through his challenge and choppity chopper people, through, through his discipleship through his healing, was to show what God was like, okay? But then it climaxes in him going to a cross. Now, how in the world does a cross, the mystery of Christ, him going to the cross, reveal what God is like? It's the centerpiece of revealing what God is like because it's the center of revealing that God's holy. It's the center of revealing how God feels about sin. It's the centerpiece of showing the requirement that it takes for sin to be dealt with. How heinous it takes to deal with sin, to rip somebody up and to tear them up. Who wants to wait on a mystery like that? But the beauty of this is that the cross is the beginning but not the end of the story. Because he got up on the third day pointing to the fact that he wasn't guilty and that sin had been taken care of and that he was going to make everything in the universe new. And so when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he, Paul, in revealing this mystery of Christ, guess what he's talking about in relation to his ministry? He's supposed to show people what God is like. And guess what we're supposed to do? Show people what God is like. That is a difficult, difficult journey. But guess what's beautiful about it? Is we don't show people what God is like without God. See, that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. You're not like, let me work myself up. Let me smack myself in the face and let me get. No. Nah. The Bible talks about the fact that we have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer we that live, but Christ that lives where? In us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by what? The glory of the Son of God who did what? Died for you. So guess what? The more we die, the more we live, the more we show what God is like. Let me say that again. <laughs> the more we die, the more we live, and the more we're able to show what God is like. And so that's the centerpiece of what it means. So everything, whether we're here, <coughs> whether we're in the suburbs, whether we're in urban context, whether you're in college, whether you're in your career, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're single, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, if you're in him, your life should show what he's like. Your life should put the right things on blast and exalt the right things. But what's beautiful about it is he empowers us and strengthens us <coughs> to be able 
to do this so we're not just doing it on our own. I got to move. I got to move. We can spend more time on that. It says, which he, in verse 5, he says, which was made, which was not made known to the generations of men in other generations. That's what we talked about, <coughs> how the mystery was concealed. It says, as it has now been revealed to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, we visited this in chapter 2, verse 20, but in order, to, again, to understand this idea, we have to look at what is the role of apostles and prophets in revealing the mystery of Christ? Again, again, because that's what, that's what they're supposed to, they're supposed to, the central role of that. In other words, the, the role of an apostle is to not have a name on the outside of a building. That's not the main role. The main role of apostle is not to do five-night revivals to Christian people. That's, that's not the role of the apostle. Um, the, the, role of, the role of the apostle is not to be a, a over 50 pastors. That's not the role of the apostle. The role of the apostle, central meaning of the word, and we'll get to it again when we get to chapter 4, but it means one sent forth. Now, the word sent is the, word, is the idea we get our idea of missions from. In other words, mission of what? Mission of the gospel. So the main role of the apostle is to be a pioneer to people groups who have never heard the gospel. Wow. They are also to be guardians of the content of the gospel as well as be functional, functionally obedient to the gospel. Like Paul jammed up Peter, right? In Galatians 2, 4 through 14. Jesus also stated that they would write scripture and make disciples. So, what should an apostle do? He should share the gospel with unreached people groups. The apostle should do. The, 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 um, the apostle should be a guardian of the gospel, number two. <laughs> the, n- n- number, number three, um, should walk in functional obedience to that gospel. Number four, should write scripture. And number five, guess what? Should make disciples. Wow, right? So now, so, so, so now, let's look at prophet. Now, we're talking about, this was, now Paul here was talking about the office of the prophet. In, I mean, the office of um, apostle. When we get to chapter 4, he'll talk about the gift. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. Can't tell everything up front. Now, prophet here, right, is this. Now, he's talking about gift of a prophet, not offices of OT a, pro, a prophet, right? So the main role of this prophet here is to call God's people into obedience and focus on the gospel. Now, I like the way Horner puts it in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, a prophet is one who is endowed by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy for the purpose of edification, comfort, and encouragement, and the enablement to understand and communicate the mysteries and revelation of God to the church. And his prophecy may have a predictive element. However, those are the mainstays of it, right? And so again, he's talking about why we have an authentically real Christian faith. Now, that, that, this is a concrete Christian faith, and what's beautiful about this idea of God's revelation and revealing it to them is they didn't initiate revelation. God initiates revelation to them. That's the key. That's the key. And then he gets on the final portion, and we'll close on this. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
We made it to verse 6. All right. So, 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 so he says, this mystery is, is clarified because it's the mystery of Christ. Okay? So this mystery is about Christ being revealed. Beautiful thing. Christ being revealed points to, uh, points to him being sent to make God known, to show people what God is like. Amen to that. So now we see now that there are results of what happens that shows what the impact of Christ making himself known to people has impact on how, um, how people are viewed. Okay? Now, and the identity of those who weren't specific, uh, specifically spoken to as receiving these promises, but God pulled them in and took them under his wing, right? So here it says, the mystery is that, what? Gentiles are fellow heirs. We remember that because he's restating what he talked about in verses 11 to 22 in Ephesians chapter 3. Y'all still, I mean, chapter 2, y'all still tracking with me? He says, at first fellow heirs of the same blessing. So God promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so now the promise of Abraham not only belongs to the Jew, but it also belongs to those who are non-Jews who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Then he says, members of one body. I like this. Members of one body. Now, now, he's, made, now he's talking about the fact <laughs> that these people groups are made into one people group. One body. Now, the word here for members means to be joined. Say joined. We're not just talking about joining church. We're talking about to be joined together. That means positionally linked up together. Now, 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 now check this out. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word here is used, right? Remember, this, this word for this word, uh, for, the, for the way it's been translated. So it means to have a close relationship with the body. This, this, word, this word here for, 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 for members means to have a close relationship with the body. This is beautiful because the mystery of Christ revealed, and the, this mystery looks like the Gentiles having this. That means that people who call themselves Christians should have a close relationship with the local church. I'm going to just look around for one second. People that call themselves Christians should have a close, I'm not talking about a cliquish relationship with the church. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a close relationship to the church. That means they like the church. And that means that you can't call yourself a Christian and hate the church. Because by identity, based on the mystery being revealed, since we're members of that body, we're supposed to have close, pro, close proximity and practice with that body. Now, this is in the context of the gospel, of us showing what God is like. Now, that means that when believers show what God is like, it shouldn't just be in the presence of one another all the time. That means holy huddles and clicky clusters. Amen, it's getting quiet on this part. That, 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 means, that means that we are to be in the world showing what God is like by how we're joined together, but also explaining and engaging people with the gospel. Wow. So that means, that let's ask, let, let me ask a survey question. How much of your time with other Christians is just for y'all? 
Because we're supposed to steward God's grace. Now, what is the, now, I'm just preaching the text. I ain't making nothing up. The text says stewarding God's grace points to doing what? The grace that has impacted you is supposed to do what? So if we join together, <coughs> we can't say, oh, we, God is with us. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost today. You know, oh, man, I love you. Da, 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 doing this and going to the movie, doing all that. That's fine. But at some point, it has to stop pointing inward and point upward and outward. We have to go from pointing inward to pointing upward to pointing outward. And when that happens, God can join others together with us through the proclamation through both life and lips. <laughs> and, so, and so then finally, and I'm going to get out of the way, it says, and we're finally partakers of the promise and Christ Jesus through the gospel. This whole partakers idea means having a share with another in same things like possessions or sharing with something in particular. In other words, casting your lot with somebody. Casting your lot with someone. In other words, giving your life. Giving your life. One of the things that, um, um, you know, Jesus talks about in the upper room discourse as we close, that that's a beautiful thing that I love that he talks about in the upper room discourse. He says, He's, after he talks about abiding in him, he tells them to abide in his love, and he says, no greater love than this, than one give his life for his friends. Now, what he begins pointing them to before he departs is he says, I, I, I'm going to remain the center because, because you all know me, you're going to abide in me. I'm the vine. My father's going to dress you all up. He's the gardener. So he's going to be gardening your life, gardening your soul. But the way for that gardening to work is for the connection to me to be uninterrupted. Now, in light of that connection to me to be uninterrupted, you guys got to be together and sacrificially live your lives for one another to my glory. Crazy, right? Now, now, guess what most people call that? A cult. Y'all a cult. Y'all talk about community and people sacrificing and giving. Hold on, hold on. What? Hold on. How? So, oh, American Christianity means come to church come to an event, leave, and do what I want as long as I give. That's American Christianity. But, 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 but biblical Christianity calls for building our lives together around God's mission for God's gospel. Now, how that occur? Well, y'all talking about living in the community. See, y'all telling people, live in the city. Like, I ain't, look, what if I don't want to live? I mean, we ain't making everybody, but hold on. <coughs> Are you mad at me or the Bible? So, so because our lives are to be called into being joined, <coughs> we don't just merely move because of a job. You can't move because of a job and then hope that you're going to find a, a biblical community. Like, I hope we can find something, you know. Most of us make moves not for the mission of God, but for the grace that we feel like is on us. So I'm not trying to make nobody stay. I'm just saying this is important for us as believers to begin allowing our, our decisions to be shaped by Scripture. And that means we have to challenge one another, not just our favorite people that we like being around. And that means some of us say, well, I've been hurt in the local church, and I don't trust anybody because they tell all your business and put it on Facebook and Twitter in codes. Like some people in your life, da-da-da-da-da, and I know they're talking about me, right? Well, that wasn't, y'all know I'm telling the truth. People coding what they want to say instead of just going to a brother or sister. They, what do y'all think about people that? And you really want to say something to somebody. That's caddy and left field of the kingdom. 
If you have a, something against your brother, you go to him. Okay? And so, and so, 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 so what's important about this idea of bound freedom is we're to be bound to God's gospel, but calls us to be bound to the mission of God with a local community of believers. There is no such thing by identity as an uncommitted Christian. And so I pray that God will continue to nurture us and grow us and make us greater disciples of Jesus Christ, more committed disciples of Jesus Christ, more loving disciples of Jesus Christ, and watch him transform each one of us from the inside out and to wreck our lives so that, guess what? The mystery of Christ is not a mystery because it's been revealed. And God, as he progressively reveals who Christ is to us, our lives in conjunction with one another would reveal the beauty of Christ to a lost world that's in need of him. Amen? Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the life that comes to you. I mean, Lord, Lord we, we know that our lives are on lockdown, and we know that we are to be <coughs> locked in and linked up with you and to you. You're so faithful to us, and, and I, I love how through, through in this passage, you're showing us what it looks like, Lord God, to have a life that reflects that has been impacted by Jesus Christ. And God, we know that the gospel both saves us and grows us. And so, God, I pray that, your, that the truth of the gospel would, would, would continue to permeate us so that a lost world around us would see a lost world around us would see, <laughs> a lost world around us would see what God is like in every sense of the word. Sanctify us, demessify us, that we may um, continue to walk as those who have a new identity and know who we are, whose we are, and who, who, what is our purpose. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.